So, uh, hi. Welcome to the first non-collegiate edition of Welcome or of uh, Just the Next Time. God, I've already forgotten how to do it. <laughs> hey, we, we didn't have like a full-on intro in the first place, though. We didn't have like a normal greeting we uh, came back to week after week. We just kind of waited around and then freestyled something off the cuff. So, in a way, that fits in tune with what we've done this entire time. Just never straying from our roots. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, now that one of us is formally out of college and one of us is almost done with college, we're going to go back and we're going to talk about college. Because, honestly, over the last couple months, couple months might be a stretch, but over the last month, the only interesting thing that happened in the sports world has been college football. Yep. And I say college football realignment, knowing full well that I should be saying college sports realignment, but also not giving a shit, and also now kind of thinking there's a distinction. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's much of a distinction, because, uh, any move that's going to be made at the high level of college realignment is to serve 30 to 40 football programs. That's it. It, it takes every other department and conference along with it, but uh, that's not who these moves are being made for. This is a college football realignment thing that just happens to have a trickle-down effect that I don't know where it will end because there is a chance this could go very far down if, the right dominoes fall. Absolutely. So would you, you have a better memory and you follow this stuff closer than I do, would you walk us through sort of from the start point of this round through all the rumors to where we are now? Yes. Uh, so last summer, uh, Texas and Oklahoma decided that the Big 12 was no longer for them uh, and they went and joined the SEC. This was a seismic move because Oklahoma has been a very solid program year in and year out, and Texas, if they get it going, will be as well. So this takes the Big 12's inarguably two biggest brands and shifts them to the SEC, which is undoubtedly the strongest conference football-wise in the nation. So this creates a 16-team mega-conference in the SEC, largest conference yet, and sent the Big 12 in a frenzy, and they added, in response, a Houston, BYU, UCF, and who am I forgetting? <laughs> Cincinnati. And so they grabbed those four teams and are barely staying afloat as a Power 5 conference due to that. But this that move signaled a lesson, a beacon to the rest of the college football world and sports world that uh, – Nothing is sacred anymore, and there is places that teams want to be that does not involve history, does not involve rivalries. It's solely in favor of maximizing the amount of money this program can earn. Not that that hasn't really always been the case, but this time there's no other motivation, even secondary to that being the case. So, but things seem fine, you know. All in all, the Power 5 structures seem to be mostly intact, at least for the time being. And any concerns of uh, the SEC breaking away from the NCAA 
or the Big Ten doing the same and trying to add some teams of its own seem to be far down the line and a concern for, you know, later this decade when, you know, the playoff contract expires and all that other fun stuff. And speaking of the playoff contract, here's a kind of important thing that happened. Uh, They had an expansion planned to go through for, it was either this season or next season, where, you know, the 12-team round with auto bids for the Power Five, but the Pac-12 and the ACC both voted no on that plan, and uh, that's probably going to come back to haunt them because because of the Big 12 SEC thing, the Pac-12, ACC, and Big 10 formed a loose handshake alliance between the athletic between the presidents of each conference that neither of them would try to poach each other's members. So things seem to be rather calm. You know, we're going to stay at four for a while, no auto bids, but now this summer. Things still seem to be going calm. I don't exactly know what the domino was that tipped the scales, but I, I think it was still probably the Texas Oklahoma thing last summer to put the idea in the head of two athletic directors at two schools to uh, see the writing on the wall. Conferences are becoming larger, and they can take whoever from wherever they want. So completely ignoring the handshake alliance, which had no former structure to it other than, trust me, bro, USC and UCLA jumped ship from the Pac-12, a conference that they were founding members of since way back in the early 1900s, and have announced their plans to join the Big Ten, starting in 2024, putting the Big Ten at 16 teams and putting the Pac-12 back at 10 for the time being, with its two undoubtedly largest brands, including USC, who is shaping up to be the best team in that conference going forward due to its ludicrous NIL money, its huge contract on Lincoln Riley, and it getting the top-of-the-line transfers. So, that's where we are right now. So far, nothing else has happened in the two weeks since that move, which I'm kind of shocked of. But, yeah, USC and UCLA to the Big Ten a sentence that would have been unthinkable just a decade prior, is now a reality. God, I mean, you say a decade prior, but honestly, even a year prior, this didn't feel likely, this didn't feel imminent. No. This is those college football stories where it really came out of nowhere. Yeah. Honestly, like, normally you start to hear rumblings. Like, the Texas-Oklahoma thing was rumored for, you know, around a month before they finally said, yes, this is real, yes, we're doing it, bye-bye, Big 12. The USC and UCLA, with no real leaks, called the Big 10 and said, y'all want us? And the Big 10 said yes. And then it was done that night. That's nothing to say about how long those discussions have been going on internally, but, uh... Yeah, that's there. They've almost certainly been scouting this for months, if not years. I would not at all be surprised if they were considering this even before Texas and Oklahoma decided to jump straight from the big call. So, while this all happened incredibly fast for the average fan, 
and still pretty fast on the conference level, we all have to consider that each and every one of these schools are playing the long game. And I think that that's an interesting place to go from here. If we kind of pick through, A, every conference, and then B, critical schools within the, the current conference structure who seem like they might be flight risk, I think maybe going through and trying to play the long game for some of these schools could be fun. I, I agree. I think that uh, part of the reason it's <laughs> been so surprising nothing else has happened is because that's where, you know, the mind instantly went is, uh, like, this is undoubtedly the shaking of a snow globe in the college sports world. Maybe, you know, off the top of my head, I really can't think of anything that's been as big as this. Like, teams have jumped conferences, yes. But no team has ever delivered the death null, the death stab in the gut to its conference that USD and UCLA did. So that leaves every school not in the Big Ten and SEC's Power 5 future in doubt, and maybe even some schools up in those two if things further snowball down the line. But, yeah. So which conference would you like to start with on seeing what the long game could end up being for every school as the moves which will have to be made in the future I can maybe see a year or two where it's just USD and UCLA in the Big Ten and then everybody else is normal, but I can't see anything beyond that. Well, first I want to ask, do you think that this is a bigger deal than Texas and Oklahoma last year? Absolutely. I think that the current structure of college football could have survived with Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC. I think that the Big 12, you know, its replacement teams were the cream of the crop of teams not in the Power 5 from both the TV market and the competitive standpoint. You know, Cincinnati made the playoff more recently than a Big 12 team has, for example. Uh, so, you know, I think that while it wouldn't be as big of a Power 5 power as the previous Big 12's potential was with Oklahoma and Texas, that would still, you know, I think, in my opinion, keep its status up pretty well. I mean, look at the Pac-12. They they haven't made the playoffs since, like, 2016, and they're still there. So I think while that shook things up, while that killed several rivalries and put the Big 12 in a place where instead of it being this vaguely Southwest conference is now this nationwide island of misfit toys, Right. But this is bigger, because this is a not a darn lick of geographic sense. I guess that, that hasn't mattered in realignment for a while, but this honestly probably makes the least sense of all. It's a conference that stretches from Los Angeles to Piscataway, New Jersey. There is just no way to make that make sense. There isn't even really a buffer state between these between the East Coast and West Coast. If anything, it's us in Nebraska. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it is really weird to be, we are the Western point of the conference to suddenly we are the midpoint of the conference. Boom. Uh, geographically. Yeah, wow. But, 
we can absolutely get to Nebraska later because I have some funky fresh thoughts on what this means that are probably not like in line with what most people are saying. But what I will say, uh, I actually disagree with you. I think Texas and Oklahoma is a bigger deal. Okay. And the reason I think that is because if you're viewing this from, like, what does this mean to the schools and what does this exact move mean to the landscape, you're right. This is a bigger statement of, oh, my God, this is uh, this is weird for these schools. Texas and Oklahoma felt like SEC schools in the wrong place, which, boy, oh, boy, will we get to later with Clemson and arguably Miami and arguably North Carolina later. But... I think for me, looking at Texas and Oklahoma based on that moves, if you look at the Cold War between the conferences, sure, the Big 12 did its best. But if you give me the opportunity to watch Texas versus Oklahoma, or shoot, again, I, I constantly forget the teams they added. Cincinnati versus, give me another one. Uh, UCF. UCF. That's a fun little enticing game. Those teams can be really good. Now, I'm also going to make the argument that Justin's going to be mad at me for that a lot of the times we see these teams have a meteoric rise and get put into the conversation and get talked about and considered for big bowls and stuff because they don't play anybody who matters. Even if they have to play each other at their level, that's not going to happen nearly as often. So I think... Last year, the Big 12 got doomed for obsolescence. This year, the Pac-12 probably got doomed to obsolescence. But that became inevitable. As soon as the SEC expanded, you kind of always knew that the Big 10 was going to do one of two things, except that they were a little brother, brother to the SEC, or try and make their own super conference. Eventually. Now, none of us thought it was going to happen this fast. I am not saying that I had a crystal ball. And a lot of this, I will totally admit, hindsight is 2020. But I still think that first move, that Texas and Oklahoma are going somewhere, two of the biggest. And it, it proved to us that the big names can move, right? Because a big thing about the last round of, like, meaningful conference realignment, which brought Nebraska to the Big Ten, was... Yeah, Texas owns Texas and Oklahoma own the Big 12 and are tied together in the Big 12. And I think at that time, if it had seemed at all possible for those two schools to make the jump they made last year, you know, maybe maybe they would have. But that just wasn't on the table. Putting kind of big flag, flag, flagship schools, I mean... At I, this point, I, I don't I don't know about that, considering that they were threatening to leave and join the Pac-12 if they didn't get, you know, this media rights deal that would have allowed the Longhorn Network and whatnot. So I, I think if they would have called the SEC up, they would have listened. I don't think Texas was ever serious about that. Like, that's just my read. But I don't, I don't think that was something that they seriously intended to do at that time. Okay. Regardless, um, who is – so 
I suppose we better get this out of the way. There's sort of a consensus that the next school to either move or not move, the school who the ball is in their court, is our dear, dear Roman Catholic friend over at Notre Dame. <laughs> yes. Walk us through their position, walk us through their kind of beef with the Big Ten historic I don't know this beef. It's way too passive aggressive. It's like church beef. <laughs> yes. You know, you know what I mean? Where yeah. It's like, mm, I clearly don't like you, but I'm way too Christian to say that. <laughs> yeah. I won't outwardly say I dislike you. I'm just going to ignore you, despite everything else that would make sense. Precisely. If I don't say anything mean directly, that's technically not a sin. So. <laughs> right, and if I do, it's going to be something like, oh, you'll just wear anything. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, correct. Talk us through Notre Dame. Yeah, so way back in the day, I want to say like 1910s or 20s-ish, Michigan has a coach named Fielding Yost, one of the most 1910 names you will ever hear in your life. Fielding Yost, being a man in the 1910s, hated Catholics. Does he have a reason? His name is Fielding Yost. That is his reason. So when Notre Dame says, hey, Michigan, Ohio State, other Midwestern school, I am in your general geographic area. Y'all have this conference of teams who play each other regularly. I have played you in games in the past. The conference's name at the time is the Western Conference, which is hilarious given the future of things. But given that Fielding Yost is an anti-Catholic man of the early 1900s, he forbids Notre Dame from joining their conference and even really playing teams in that general area. So Notre Dame finds some new friends in USC and Stanford and vows to never join a conference ever again. This works out well for them for the most part. You know, they have a very lucrative TV deal with NBC. They are, you know, really, they're, although they are a Midwestern team, their fan base spans nationwide through whatever Catholics feel the obligation to root for them for whatever reason. You know, that's in the Bible somewhere. But uh, now... They have since softened their thoughts on conferences. They joined the ACC for every sport but football, but have this deal that plays them like seven ACC teams per year. So, you know, and they were in the ACC full-time every sport in 2020. So Notre Dame has joined a conference before. It just took a pandemic to do it. But now uh, they're still technically unconferenced. And the Big Ten would like to think that everything that happened with Mr. Yost and the anti-Catholic sentiments of the early 1900s are water under the bridge for all intents and purposes. I mean, Notre Dame hockey competes in the Big Ten. They clearly do not still hold the grudge, and I highly doubt that Jim Harbaugh is up at night cursing Catholics. But... <laughs> any Jim coach, Harbaugh is Catholic. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh famously gave a pair of Jordans to the Pope. You Jim see. Harbaugh visits with his family every summer. <laughs> like, you would think that this would be hatchetberry, but then you go on to, like, Notre Dame fan forums and, like, Notre Dame Twitter, and they're all like, we absolutely can't join a conference. Yeah. Right? Because if the Catholic Church 
is anything, it is slow to take. And I genuinely think you would have to call the Pope and get his permission to move Notre Dame to the Big Ten. <laughs> we might even need a Vatican Council. Vatican Three. The only thing on the docket is Notre Dame. Notre Dame. And, and it lasts longer than Vatican II. At the end, they have, like, white smoke if it's a conference, black smoke if they're independent. <laughs> I actually think that there have only been two ecumenical councils at the Vatican. I think it would be way better if we got the council south bed. Yeah. Let's just have it in Indiana. Mayor Pete can ceremonially open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be great. I love it. Yeah. I mean, come on. The, the Notre Dame Stadium parking lot's bigger than that entire country. Like, <laughs> we've got room. I've been to this country earlier this summer. I can confirm. <laughs> you, you could, like, jog around in 20 minutes. <laughs> My God. So. Yeah. So. Notre Dame, now though, for the first time I think in their uh, conferenceless lives, as the school has seen what is coming, which is the SEC and the Big Ten, with their new toys, are going to renegotiate their meteor rights. And suddenly, Notre Dame being the show of the week on NBC every week, would not net them as much money as joining the SEC or the Big Ten full-time. It just wouldn't. The Big Ten makes sense from a historical standpoint, geographic standpoint. You know, there are hockey teams already there. Just nine out of ten reasons why any potential conference move would make sense. The Big Ten and Notre Dame make sense together. It really does. But, and the only other sort of candidate that you can think of, because almost certainly Notre Dame doesn't work in the SEC. No. Um, if you were going to, you could have made an argument for the Pac-12, but, like, I don't want to go fully the Pac-12 doesn't exist anymore, but it feels like the Pac-12 doesn't exist anymore. No, like, that would not even be an option on Notre Dame's radar at this point especially considering right. USC is their biggest rival in that conference, and they have just joined the Big Ten. So, like, the meteorites would be huge for them in the Big Ten, but I can't say for a certainty that they wouldn't be bigger in the SEC, so for that reason, I can't roll the S- rule the SEC out of the Notre Dame negotiations. But I think Notre Dame's going to have to join a conference, and the Big Ten really wants it to be them. I think... Yeah, I, I guess I can't rule them out to the SEC, but that's, like, they don't pass the vibe check down there. No, they and don't, but does USC pass the vibe check for the Big Ten? Uh, yeah, I mean, fair. Super fair. I do think that the USC is more aligned with the Big Ten than, say, it is the SEC or it is the Big 12, right? Yeah. Oh, the other thought for Notre Dame would be the ACC, but they don't get to renegotiate their deal until 2036. Yes, and according to some 
people familiar with everything in that contract, uh, reading it would mean a nine-figure sum. So, ACC is so, very uh, legally locked in. Let's go to the ACC next after this. Okay. But, but no, sorry, but uh, the point being is, I think the overarching point is, the Big Ten really wants Notre Dame based on everything we've said and based on the amount of money it would make them. But Notre Dame hasn't said anything. I think it's still weighing its options right now. So that will be the next domino to fall, whatever they decide to do. If I had to put money on it, I'd say the Big Ten, but I can't r- rule out them being stuck in the ACC or the SEC money, you know, trumping all and any vibe check non-passings. But, you know, that, that, that's next is Notre Dame. And what's weird about that being next is it's a very real possibility. Like, it would be, I think we both agree, the longest of wrong decisions for Notre Dame to hang tight. But it's very possible. Yeah. Like, inertia is a hell of a thing. They might have some big donors, which is super important to a private school. They might have some big donors that absolutely refuse to leave. You know, I don't know. I just, I think at the end of the day, Notre Dame staying independent is almost awesome for me at this point because you'd think that that's the next domino you'd think it wouldn't take long for them to totally figure out what they want to do. I don't know. I I think right now what we're going to end up doing is waiting for the Big Ten to decide what they want to give up on Notre Dame and then making their next moves. And probably not even making them, just announcing them. I'm sure that there is currently one file on Kevin Warren's desk that says, hey, we are... uh, we're going to get Notre Dame, and the other one says we're not going to get Notre Dame. And then there are specific plans and instructions from there based on that decision. Mm-hmm. And but we are still waiting on South Bend right now. Yeah. One interesting thing I think they could be waiting on is, uh, let's say at some point down the line, which I think is probably even likely at this point, with the Big Ten and the SEC being so far ahead that they just say they don't need the NCAA anymore and formally make their own thing where the notion of a college conference doesn't really matter anymore as it's basically an entirely new league with players that just happen to be associated with colleges. I think they could wait for that so they don't have to technically join a conference. They can just move up into a new league if a separation happens, which I think is almost inevitable at this point because I don't see how two two conferences with all the good teams can exist in a sport, you know. Right. Absolutely. And I think that that would lead to a lot more expansion at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there... Yeah. There's no way that just USC and UCLA and Texas and Oklahoma would be the only schools not in those two conferences who would jump along for the ride. Someone else is coming with. Florida State, Miami. Yep. Would have to come along. All teams in the ACC, which... (laughs) 
segueing back into it, is potentially maybe locked in until 2036. Yeah, yeah. So talk us through that media, right? Steal and what you think that means for those schools. I basically said just the gist of what I know is that uh, in, until 2036, any media rights money uh, goes to the ACC from every school that is currently in the ACC. I think Notre Dame may be included in this as well because of all their non-football sports that are ACC. So, and given just the ludicrous, like, the large amount of money they have to pay to get out of that and leave early, there could be some legal loopholes. I'm sure every ACC school has their lawyer fine-tooth combing through every single word in that document right now. But, as it stands, they're locked in. And it would have to be a very, very big media contract, inevitable, with a payout that would exceed, you know, nine figures for a school, each school in that conference in a given year, for them to think that this move makes financial sense in the short term and the long term, given just the length of that contract. But I don't think the ACC can afford to stay firm as uh, the Big the Big Ten and the SEC continue to separate themselves just competitively. Like, yeah, the ACC, yeah, you have Clemson, Miami, and Florida State, you know, can technically get it back together to where, to where they once were. But that's really about it year in and year out as far as powerhouse teams that would rival the upper tiers of the two biggest conferences in the sport. You're going to be forgotten if you don't change. And if you get forgotten, those teams are going to want to leave, and these conferences are going to want these teams. So, Yeah, at a certain point, you'd almost rather be the Big 12 that got screwed first so that you get the cream of the crop when you're trying to replace those schools. Yes. Uh, I think it's interesting that the Pac-12 has not announced or even kind of, we haven't heard rumors about replacements. Well, they, yeah, they have discussed potential mergers with Big 12 and ACC, but I don't know how far along the thought process those plans are besides just ideas the Pac-12 is floating out there. That smells like the alliance to me. Yeah. Is that bad? But I just, I, I can't take that seriously. No, no, I don't blame you. So, which ACC teams would want out the baddest? No, oh, I can't talk. Which ACC teams want out the most? So, I think from a purely competitive standpoint for football, Clemson's going to leave. You know, they are basically an SEC team in the way they are run and the way they compete. So I say Clemson will likely have to get to the SEC, and they won't. Okay, first of all, everybody wants out, but here are the teams I think have a realistic shot of getting out into one of the two super conferences, if that is in fact the way the sport is headed, which it most certainly seems so. Clemson, for sure, based on their sustained success and ridiculous amount of money they pour into that program, which, you know, has beaten the likes of the Big Ten and the SEC for national championships. So Clemson, for sure, is gone. Both Miami and Florida State are massive college football brands that would be, you know, media rights necessities for if you can get them. 
So I say those three are locks. Here's the ones I'm like 80 to 90% sure would find a way to jump. North Carolina, because of the basketball brand and because Charlotte and the entire state really is a pretty big TV market, which is a very important thing to consider in all of this, is where and neither the Big Ten nor the SEC have teams in that state, so you can then add a whole new state to your conference network footprint. So North Carolina, I'm pretty confident in. Virginia, for the same reasons, basketball and new TV market. And solely for TV market and solely for the Big Ten, a team I don't hear talked about really enough, but one I think the Big Ten would definitely try to get if ACC teams are up for grabs, is Georgia Tech because of that Atlanta TV market. So those three teams, I think, you know, are going to be try, going to try to be got by the Big Ten of the SEC. Maybe Duke in there as well, if basketball is just that important. So, but besides those seven, I don't really see Louisville being that attractive for a TV market standpoint, considering the SEC already has Kentucky, and the Big Ten. I don't think is dying to get a Kentucky market. Pitt, no. Syracuse, no. NC State, Wake Forest, no. So I think, yeah, Boston College, yeah, Boston's a big market, but the Northeast does not really care about college sports that aren't basketball that much. And given that football's driving the bus here, I don't see them moving up. So, yeah. I think, so the Georgia Tech thing is really interesting. Because for me, if you're an ACC team with a great football team and a decent basketball program, you're sitting pretty. You can move to the SEC. You can move to the Big Ten if you want. I'm talking sort of those three schools that we mentioned right off the bat. Clemson, mm-hmm. Florida State, and Miami. Yeah. And one's a stretch in there, it's Miami. Because I don't – but Miami feels power five. It feels important. There is a certain – and people hate to talk about this – because I think especially Nebraska fans get annoying as hell about this, but there is a certain blue blood panache status of you used to be a really big deal. Mm-hmm. It still matters. Now, yeah. I don't think that it means that you have the best chips at the table of anyone, but it does give you some some uh, some bargaining power. Yeah. Now, then you've got this kind of second tier in my mind of like, and I think you're right, like, the, the Atlanta media market is big. But I would like to see numbers on how many people in Atlanta watch Georgia Tech games. Because I would think that, I would think, like, that is close to a Nebraska Creighton in basketball kind of example, where it's like, if you went to Nebraska, you cheer for Nebraska. If you went to Creighton, you cheer for Creighton, or if you're from the geographic area and didn't go to either, you cheer for Creighton, right, like some Omahans, but most of the state and most people, even in that area, are Husker fans before they're Creighton fans, and I would think that that's the same thing with Georgia and Georgia Tech. Yeah, no, they're definitely second fiddle in that state, but I think that, that just, like, 
Atlanta and that media market is so big that being second fiddle would, you know, still be more lucrative than, I think, honestly, most teams, maybe not most teams, but a lot of teams that currently exist in the Big Ten. Like, the Atlanta market (laughs) that watches Georgia Tech isn't huge, but I'm willing to bet just on pure numbers, it's bigger than, like, Indiana, Purdue, Illinois, Northwestern, maybe even, like, Iowa from just a pure numbers standpoint, you know? That's interesting. That's really interesting. So, but then schools like Duke, schools like <clears throat> Boston College, I think we start talking about them like we talked about Gonzaga, right? Mm-hmm. What this effectively does in college basketball is it creates more non-Power 5 threats. Yes. And then I think we see a totally different sort of conference structure consolidate around basketball. Ooh. Where, you know, some of these mid-majors, you know, start jumping in with teams like Duke, like, you know, Virginia Tech, like, I think we said Virginia has a shot of making a jump, and I, uh, I don't know. Because really the attractive media market in Virginia is, for me, the attractive media market in Virginia is DC. Yeah, the DMV, which the Big Ten has with Rutgers and Maryland. And the FCC doesn't have anything close to it. Mm, Okay. Yeah, I hear it. No, like close geographically, not close population-wise. But Virginia's yeah, so, got, like, eight and a half million people in the state. Like, it's a big state. It's a growing state. And, like, you know, the SEC, like, I think you get more out of Virginia than you would Kentucky, media-wise. And, you know, Big Ten, you get more out of Virginia than you would, you know, Iowa or Indiana, maybe, media-wise. So, like, it doesn't not make sense because they are a powerhouse in basketball. They have a steadily improving football program. You know, I I can see a world where they're not in it, but I think that they would definitely want to make the jump and have a very intriguing case for both conferences to listen to. All right, all right. So let's talk <laughs> who's Oregon and Washington? Yeah. Or like the pack or broadly. Yeah, the Pac-12 more broadly, but I think, yeah, you definitely nailed it with us. Oregon and Washington are, I think, the only teams that have a shot at making one of these two conferences. They have called to the – they have confirmed, reached out to the Big Ten, and the Big Ten says, we're good for now, but, you know, we'll keep you in mind for later, which isn't, you know, a glowing endorsement for the future of that, but, I mean – I fail to see why you wouldn't want them if you're a truly expanding westward and capturing those markets. Oregon and Washington are two states you don't have a footprint in. Portland and Seattle are two big media markets. And, you know, it would help geographically a whole lot. So, you know, you're not flying 
five hours for every single road game. So I don't see why the Big Ten wouldn't jump at that. I guess maybe unless they're waiting for Notre Dame, and that has something to do with it, but I see those two as a very likely candidate for the Big Ten in the future. I think that's exactly what we're good for now means. We're good until Notre Dame figures our shit out. Mm-hmm. And then, talk to us. Because I think, yeah, the second we know the fate of Notre Dame, we're going to learn the fate of these two schools. Mm-hmm. And I think <clears throat> the reality is this. I think they're in the Big Ten either way. Because just like you said, I can't try not to cuss on the pod. I can't imagine a world in which even someone who I do not trust his common sense, like Kevin Warren, I can't see a world in which he doesn't see what a get those two are if you can get them. Yeah. And I don't see them side to taking those schools. No, it it only makes sense just based on the current way things are trending. Like, unless you want to, like, test run USC and UCLA for a couple of years, but, like, what are you going to do if it doesn't work? Kick them out? No. Like, it's already been done. So, like, I think where Notre Dame state lies in them is a what Pac-12 teams they take with them or if they can actually get out of that ACC deal for the rest of their sports, if that opens up the rest of the ACC market. And if the Big Ten would rather have, you know, North Carolina and you know, Georgia Tech and Clemson, Miami, whoever, than those two Pac-12 teams, which I think they might, then maybe that's what they're exactly waiting on. But I still think when it's all said and done, it just makes too much sense, given the additions of USC and UCLA, for Oregon and Washington to uh, not join the Big Ten. It's either that or they get left behind, because I don't see the SEC taking them if the Big Ten says no. You know, I think the SEC's got its mind on the ACC teams, and the big, right. and they're willing to let the Big Ten have the Pac-12, considering that that's the worst conference. And as you mentioned, I, the vibes don't pass. You just you got to take them. You got. I mean, they've been good at football within the last ten years. Yeah. Let's let's see. Bill Knight at Oregon is reason enough to take both of those schools. Yeah, no, it makes sense, but I just, I can see a world where they're left behind, just based on some rumors I've heard. But, like, I don't think it would make sense. I'm just saying I can see it happening. Goddamn. I, ah, that just would shock me. Yeah. Because those two, if I'm honest with you, those are two properties I feel better about than I do Nebraska. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, why are you, at a certain point also, do you start to have the conversation in these conferences that, like, you secure this massive media rights deal, right? And then you say, okay, you know what? People are tired of watching their team go to Piscataway. People are tired 
Now, this is this is my hot take that I teased at the beginning of the episode. People are tired of watching their team go to Lincoln and kick the shit out of them. Why are they here? Ooh. Does that ever happen in your mind? Uh, regarding Piscataway, yes. But Nebraska, no, just because no matter how bad things get here, there is a tremendous amount of uh, money just with this program that uh, I just, like, we, we spend the highest on, some of the highest in the country on NIL with five straight losing seasons, you know? Just this team, I don't see it not surviving the jump, even if it continues to suck, just because, A, as you sort of mentioned, that traditional, you know, we were once a good one, still has some luster. If it does for Miami, it does for us, considering it's been about the same amount of time since we were good. Like, I I don't see a world in which Nebraska is left behind. This might, this might just be hubris, but, like, if the Big Ten is cutting weight, uh, it's going to cut, you know, one of the Illinois schools, one of the Indiana schools, Rutgers. Because even if the team is bad, we will still be tuning in. We will still be buying merch from the Big Ten website. It's like Nebraska football will never stop making money, even if it's bad. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But I think it's an underrated thing to say. I think Sam Payne is a great example. I think um, West Lafayette is a great example. Who needs them? Yeah. No, that, that is eventually coming for sure. At the very least, those conversations are coming. And maybe it turns out that media rights money just dictates you get as many schools as possible. It doesn't matter who as much. It matters the quantity. But I don't think that's been true in the past. And I think at a certain point, there is actually a lot of A law of diminishing returns. And I think if we are truly headed for the great realignment in the sky, where we have, like, two massive conferences, and with all the good schools, one of two things happens. Either those lines get drawn up not based on who happens to be where at the time. Because you wouldn't put Vanderbilt in there. No, I Vanderbilt's gone. I'm sorry any Vandy fans who may be listening, but the second the separation happens, the SEC is cutting you out of your of their will, and I think they might be okay with that, honestly. Right, right. But, like, Purdue... Yeah. And, like, even... My dad brought up an interesting point the last time I was chatting with him. Um, shout out to dad. Where he said, basically... We were talking about whether or not Stanford would ever come to the Big Ten. Yeah. And he's, as much as the Big Ten wants to look academic, it only wants to look more academic than the SEC. As long as it can still pick on the SEC for being the redneck cousins, it's happy. And it can do that based upon, like, the fact that Michigan and Ohio State are difficult schools to get into, and Alabama is Alabama. Yeah. Like, 
as long as your core is smarter than the core of the SEC. Which it always will be. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is almost certainly true. Do you need Stanford to continue kicking that horse? I don't think so. And furthermore, schools like Stanford, schools like Northwestern, schools, interestingly, like Notre Dame, are going to have shrunken recruiting pools. And this doesn't affect them as much now, but you could totally see how it would more in the future. It's harder to recruit to Northwestern. It's harder to recruit to Stanford Notre Dame because you need a higher ACC score to get in. Now, granted, there are loopholes for football players, but those loopholes only reach down from standard requirements. And when your standard requirement is way higher, I think that's I think that gets tricky for those schools really quickly. Yeah, you would almost have to count on just the fabric of like what constitutes eligibility changing. Like if players are maybe not under the NCAA but on under a new system, which I think will happen, is uh, if they truly become employees of the school more so than students of the school then I think that will just cease to matter. But, yeah, what... I, I... Oh, we're... I think we're a long way from that. I do think that, like, the facade of the student-athlete is so important at so many places. And so many big, important blue bloods claim to take that seriously. Michigan takes that seriously. Ohio State takes that seriously. But isn't that just to really keep the NCAA happy so they don't investigate you too hard? Because they're all cheating. And, like, if they don't need the NCAA anymore, why do they need their rules? Uh, this is this is interesting. Do you think there would be big fan backlash for that? I mean... USC and UCLA just joined the Big Ten. I don't think fan backlash will matter much on anything anymore. It's all about it's all about the Benjamins, you know. If, if this can make the schools more money in a way, and if you know they can get more money by just saying forget the NCAA, forget the rules, we are big enough. We can negotiate with networks enough to make our own thing away from them then I think that they'll just play along with it. And, you know, what are you as a fan going to do? Not watch? Yeah, I think... If the NCAA is going to maintain relevancy, and this is sort of like the deep, dark underbelly of this whole conversation, is that, like, yes, Specific schools are mad about these changes. Yes, specific conferences are going to be destroyed by these changes. There will not be a thing called the Pac-12 eventually, right? Like, there's no way it lifts. No. meaningful way. Yeah, it's going to have uh-huh. to merge with the Big 12. I think more likely than not, that means the Big 12 taking who it wants. That could mean Washington and Oregon if for some reason the Big 10 decides that they don't want them. But it almost certainly means... Stanford, if the Big Ten passes up on them, and the only reason I think they would take them is if that helps, if Notre Dame really wants them, then they'll take them because that's the traditional rivalry. And if the TV markets would, if the TV partners would love to market that, then I could see Stanford joining along, but that's a long shot. 
but I think the Arizona, the Utah schools, and the Colorado school, Colorado, will definitely hop back to the Big 12 if the Big 12 calls. I don't see the Pac-12 being the lead name in that brand. Because Oregon State and Washington State, I love you, Washington State, but let's be real. They, the Pac-12 ceases to exist. They will not go anywhere. Welcome to the Mountain West. Yep, the Mountain West. Or uh, the Big Sky. SPS, baby. <laughs> interestingly, they become, like, some of the best schools in those conferences immediately. Yeah. No, like... But that the recruiting sucks forever and ever, and they, they slowly degenerate into being trash there. I don't know. I, I could see them staying at like, the upper tier of that conference. But, I mean... <laughs> but this is just the total side point of this entire big thing. But, like, let's say that does happen. Let's say that Big 12 takes who they want from the uh, Pac-12, and they leave behind at least Oregon State and Washington State. Stanford and Cal, maybe as well. And, like, does the Mountain West become 16 teams then? Do they try to purge from the big sky and just make a huge-ass Western conference with, like... Because that's, that's where some of the really good FCS teams are. Because, like, those, those group of five conferences, they're going to want to, you know, get in on the action, too. They're not going to be, you know, relevant anymore, but that doesn't mean you can't still survive. If <laughs> right. Like, and if you're yeah, getting former I mean, power fives, you know... That media money's gonna, you know, go up. That's gonna be really interesting because there's still gonna be a high demand for, and I think this is something that's been underestimated in this whole conversation. There's still going to be a like the same demand as there is currently for football games on television. Yeah. In which we need wall-to-wall football coverage on four or five channels every Saturday for weeks and weeks at a time during the fall, and then we still want a shitload of bowl games. They don't have to be, and people will complain and say, hey, we have too many bowl games, and I will respond, and I will say, you have a system in which if a team hits six and six, you think they deserve a bowl game. Right? No one wants to change that. No. Really, no one wants to change that. So there's going to be a ton of bowl games. And obviously, these bowl games are still lucrative to host. Yeah. They're making more money than they're losing or they wouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. You have the right, as an American, to not watch them. No one is forcing you to sit down and watch the Beefo Brady Bowl. Don't, right? Yeah. But, like, we're still going to need a system that can feed that bowl that level of bowls, we're still going to need a system that can give us the number of somewhat, somewhat meaningful games on a Saturday. Yeah, because, you know, the way it's headed, ESPN's going to get one conference and Fox will get the other. Maybe some third party like Apple or Amazon just, you know, decides to jump the line and use their ridiculous amount of money to get in the game. I'm not discounting that out. I just don't think college football is ready for streaming. You know, I, 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 I can't imagine convincing, 
I can't imagine explaining old people in Nebraska how to access Apple TV+. Plus. It's just... Right. I don't think the demographic works for streaming is what I'm saying for college football. So, but it still, probably does in 20 years. But yeah. Right now, where, where, where the media rights are being discussed currently, no. In the future, maybe. But still, that leaves a lot of networks with no games to show from those big conferences. So they're going to have to go hard as they can at marketing the what's left of the Big 12 and Pac-12, whatever the ACC wants to do with itself, whatever happens to the group of five. I think they're just going to have to find any angle they can to get media money or just media time, I guess, more so than money, is a... They're going to have deals with streaming services. They're going to have deals with CBS, NBC, ESPN+. They're going to have games on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, more so than they already do because... They're going to eventually try and make the gambling angle really interesting. Ooh, that's that's a good point. More states, they're going to say... They're going to try and make a style of football in which anything can happen, and they're going to try and make these stats-focused leagues because you want it to be exciting and also in some way quasi-able to be predicted. Not predictable, but able to be predicted. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. No, I didn't even think of sports betting in this, but no, you're definitely right. And I think it's a big part of what comes next. I think it's a huge part of playoff considerations eventually. Yeah, I don't even know what happens to the playoff in this scenario. I think we write it out for four teams until the contract's done. But given that I don't know how soon the breakaway happens, I don't know how soon the next domino will fall, I can't give you any sort of prediction on what the next playoff format is. All I know is that there won't, there's not going to be auto bids for any conference that's not the Big Ten or the SEC. I think, yeah. God, and then those conference championships almost don't matter unless you fold them into the playoffs. Yeah, like, I think you'd have to separate in this case. Like, I don't see what it benefits them from pretending those other conferences matter, especially if they can poach the ACC. Because the Pac-12 is already up for poaching. The Big 12 is already up for poaching. That ACC contract is the one thing standing in the way of this truly being a two-conference league. And I trust the, whatever lawyers they've got and whatever money they got to get out of that deal. I don't see this current system lasting until yeah. 2036. I don't know. Here's my other question. So, let's say you go to, like, a 16-team playoff or an 18-team playoff. The winners of the Big Ten and the SEC, or even of the divisions within those two, are not going to want to play each other right off the bat. So then you have a system where it almost doesn't... Like, you you get to the point where it's like... Something that's really cool about college football is you need to have a perfect season. Yeah. And that, that has always been something that's true of college football. Whoever wins the national championship will at most, at absolute most, have lost two games in the season. Mm-hmm. 
likely against the one of the like one of those two losses would be against the team they're playing for the national championship or the semifinal. Yeah, or a team that made the semifinals in the other bracket or something like that. Like, or a right. team that, another playoff team, so to speak. Yeah, or like they avenged that loss in the conference championship game, which has happened multiple times. Like, so, yeah. Right, right. So if the playoff does expand, I can see definitely those teams saying, hey, we don't want to do that first round, you know? We, we'd like to get some playoff wins under our belt so we can let them pretend they have a chance. But on the other hand, I don't see how that benefits the like the networks and how the money comes if they're not playing each other all the time. And like this is my most cynical view of where college football is headed, is that it essentially just becomes mostly in format, just very like reminiscent of the NFL, way more so than the current state of college football to the point where you can lose three to four games and still make the playoffs. And these playoff games are pretty much the only thing that matter, and it's only between these two leagues. And there's no real traditional rivalry or geographic stakes anymore because you've got Nebraska playing Washington, Oregon, and the California schools every year. Like, And the lower levels have no intrigue to them because one of my favorite things when Nebraska sucks, like we always do, is uh, getting really into all the other nooks and crannies of college football. But when those aren't told to matter as much, like it's fun when through eight weeks of the season, West Virginia and Wake Forest hypothetically have a chance at the playoff with only one or zero losses, you know? And this wouldn't even have them in that. It would just be, you know, a very bland characterless money factory that's just solely about getting the biggest markets to play each other as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're looking at is possibly a system in which we all have to care a lot about Michigan playing Ohio State for the third time in a season, but we don't have to care that much about any other fucking football games. Oh, I swore. I swore and I told myself I was going to make this family friend. <laughs> but, you know, okay, I do, I have to get to work fairly soon, so we got to, like, kind of ratchet things down. Lightning round, is this good or bad for college football? Oh, it's awful. I don't... Interesting. I... College football is all you think is awful for. Well, okay, for the sport in general, for the success of it financially, this is great. But as a fan, I have no reason to care about that. That is one thing that really baffles me about some of the reaction I've seen to this from Nebraska fans and outside fans seeing the breakaway or talking about it is elation that they will have more media money coming into the program. I don't see why you as a fan should ever care about that. That is, you know, for the accountants and the administrators to have. You're not seeing any of the money. As a fan, I want to see the most fun product possible. I want to see the most meaningful product possible. And having more games on the schedule that don't mean anything, will they be fun games? Yes, USC and UCLA, you know, they high tempo. They're going to be fun football games. 
would I rather play them than any team in the Big Ten would not name Maryland? No. Like, it's going to make the season feel worse. It's going to have less conferences matter towards the end. Conferences won't have personalities anymore. Several traditional rivalries will, have, will cease to be played forever. Like, I don't... The games will still be fun, but everything around the games just got much worse. Mm-hmm. I see where you're coming from. I also think there will be, like... I think in a lot of cases we're going to see situations where, hey, yes, you know, who are two schools that are going to get split up by this that I'm not thinking about right now? Uh, Who's the rival been broken so far? Well, Bedlam will not be played anymore after the SEC split. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Right. What I could see is these conferences, either these schools saying, hey, we have, what, three, four non-conference games a year? We are going to forever and ever dedicate a non-conference game to you, Oklahoma State, because we know our fans want to see it. This is a historic rivalry. You know, there's there's no reason that won't happen, in my mind. I, I could see that happening, but I also could see a couple things, like one, just pride, like Oklahoma State being like, you left us, this was your decision. If you don't play us anymore, that's, that's on you, not on us, so we won't do it. Or if there's just this huge breakaway and they're not involved with the NCAA anymore, the schools that still are involved with the NCAA or whatever replaces it, maybe the NCAA or whatever organization that is puts their foot down and says, you can't play these other teams because, I don't know, rule violation, we want to keep you around, we don't want you to join them. I mean, I could see stuff like that happening for sure. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, good or bad for Nebraska? Last question. Ooh, I'd say bad for Nebraska because this has a... I think the question, like, everyone has been saying good, and I totally see the argument which is, would you prefer to be on the outside of one of these conferences? The answer to that is no. But we, we better win a conference championship before all of this goes down, because we're never winning one ever again. No. Because, you know, I don't know if they're going to have more schools before then, but, for, but given the state they're moving at right now, it doesn't seem horribly likely. So when those two teams get added to the Big Ten... Guess who's going to be playing them as the closest geographic neighbor? Nebraska. So we're going to have to be the welcome mat for USC to race over us on. And UCLA, I cannot predict them because they are a Pac-12 team. And Pac-12 teams, literally anything is on the table any given week. So this is just one team that I can see becoming an Ohio State-level powerhouse within five years. Another team that is capable of beating Nebraska any time they play, regardless of the quality of they've shown in other games. This is getting worse football-wise for Nebraska. And, yeah, it's <laughs> it's nice to not be left behind, but uh, 
you know, we got to figure our stuff out on the field because it's going to suck if we consistently lose to USC and UCLA every year. One thing I could see, this is my best case scenario, is that if the breakaway does happen, it has so many teams involved in it, like let's say USC, not, not USC, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal, you know, a couple teams from like Oklahoma State and Baylor make the jump from Big 12 and ACC happens. So essentially we have like 45, 50 teams and those teams have to be broken up into subdivisions. So we just like reverse engineer a Big 12, Big 10 combo that Nebraska's in, in the future, you know? That's my best case scenario. Is we might not be good in that conference, but we'll have a schedule that at the end of the day feels right, which having USC and UCLA in will not do. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that we get to play worse football at a higher level now. <laughs> Nail on the head I, right there. I think it also... If you, like, okay, this gets into a whole other can of worms that we don't have a lot of time for, but if you make the assumption that based on previous performance, Scott Frost will not, in fact, pass whatever his undefined, illegally undefined, I might add, because that information should be playable and they are dining FOIA requests for that information, and that's really bad. But if you if you get to the point where Scott, this is his last, God, one of his last months coaching the Nebraska Huskers right now, your next hire is, I can't overstate the importance of your next hire because Nebraska needs to get better right now, right now, before these teams join. I Or we start to get buried under the winds of all of this stuff. And you know what? You're absolutely right that right now Nebraska still retains blue blood status. Is that true in 10 years? If we consistently can't make bowl games? Is that true in 20 years if we consistently can't make bowl games? I I can't say for certain that it does. I I just, that's too far in advance to predict. I'd say maybe, which is not exactly an answer, but I think it's worth thinking of. One thing I will say that I can see right now and do full confidence speaking on is that a uh, this is a great thing for Nebraska's hiring pool, USC and UCLA joining Big Ten. Because if Scott gets fired, uh, some of these coaches will not be coaching at a Power 5 level through no fault of their own. So if you want to continue coaching at the highest level, you have to jump to one of the schools in these two conferences. So that opens the door up for, you know, a coach like Dave Clawson of Wake Forest who has had multiple 10-win seasons at Wake Forest. He is perfectly content where he is right now, but if he's no longer in a Power 5 conference and Nebraska can pay him a stupid amount of money thanks to the Big Ten media deal, that's now a name on the table. So Yeah. No, I, I agree. 
So that I do feel confident speaking on, but if we get like him and he still sucks, and if, it's, and if it's 20 straight years of, 20 years still of not making a bowl and we become Kansas 2.0 with no good men's sports anywhere, maybe, but like, I don't know, there's, there's too much want to in this state not to at least get a bowl eligible team like five times in 20 years. <laughs> I don't see us getting kicked out. But, you know, I could see us being a doormat in the league, and maybe one day that becomes a problem, but... Yeah, I just don't think it's great. Uh, last question, I'm going to hand you a loaded gun, and what you do is it is up to you. And I will ask this again if we do a Ireland preview. Does Scott make it through this year as head coach of the Nebraska Huskers? Uh, I can see a scenario where he does. I definitely see the path for, for success this year. On paper, I can see how this works with Scott. But given that I have not seen it work yet, I believe against uh, Bill Connolly had an amazing stat, which that due to, he's one of those football analytics math guys who has like the win probabilities and whatnot down to a science. In Scott Frost's four years at Nebraska, based on how they've played, the stats, everything, they should have won 23 games. They've won 15. At some point, it's not about the talent, it's about the coaching. And given that, even though I can see a path where this works, I have not seen anything out of Scott that he will make it work, I say another 5-7 and seven and Scott gets canned. Because I just, I, at a certain point, I have to trust my eyes over the numbers. And my eyes have shown me that uh, he can't get it done. I'd like to be wrong. I think I can be wrong, but I have not seen anything that has told me I will be. Talk me through the pathway. Ooh, uh, this this Northwestern game would just be a classic for us lost. Just so much momentum would happen if we win. It's not that tough of an opponent. But given that it's in Ireland, that's a weird place to play. Maybe the flight, those weird things to the body clock. It's Northwestern. That's always a team that gives us fits besides last year. But you know what? They rarely have two terrible years in a row. Given that Bert Bielema outcoached Scott Frost in the game that happened in this exact same time slot in the United States, I can't say that Pat Fitzgerald, a much more consistent coach, won't do the same thing. And if they lose that first game... Oh boy, all bets are off as to what they can and can't lose going forward. I think this team's talented enough it ekes out a few wins, but uh, six? I can't say with confidence that they'll do that. Yeah, I'm looking over the schedule now. I think you got to win six of the first eight. Yeah, absolutely. For sure, because Minnesota would... He's probably better than us. Michigan's better than us. Wisconsin, Iowa, all those teams are better than us on talent. Now, Oklahoma, maybe. I think it's close. I think I think that this is not an Oklahoma team of a year ago. No, getting but, that at home in the third game of a new coaching system with a bunch of talent left in the transfer portal, huge. Have we said that before about you know? I'll say. 2020 Minnesota, where Minnesota had like 30 players missing with COVID and injuries and still beat us? Yes. But if for some reason that doesn't really, whatever demons in the past 
prevented us from beating teams we should based on paper, that's a very winnable game on paper. Yeah, I mean, I think you get, if you get six of the first eight and then you can pick up a seventh off of one of those last four, you're safe for a couple years. I wouldn't say a couple years. I, I think seven and five, five and seven, we got Scott canned. I don't think you can have one winning season in five years and still still be here. I know we love yeah. the guy in this state, but like once you start making bowl games, I I think you'd have to make like three or four in a row to be safe after a losing season after that. Because like the, really, yeah, the time is now, and like the schedules are going to get tougher. You would like to need a better coach to manage these schedules. Like, at a certain point, consistency and having the fan base happy won't be enough to justify keeping him around if we're a, a, we alternate between five and seven wins. I think if Scott has seven wins, that has to be his base. Six or seven wins has to be his baseline going forward to keep his job for at least three or four years to the point where we're a consistently winning team again. We're consistently on the happy side of 500. That's good consistency that you would keep around after one year. Because then that one bad year becomes the aberration of the data instead of that one good year. All right, man. Well, that is about all we have time for today. Hopefully we'll preview the first game in a few weeks and take it easy. Yep. And in the words of Boris Johnson, them's the breaks. <laughs>